From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Conversations about what matters the most. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. All right, this is State of the Nation on today's News Talk with me, Brian McLean, and Steve Hook. We are here for hour number two. Hour number one flew by because it was awesome, per usual. Shout out to everybody over there in the interactive live chat room. Hello. Uh, I drink your milkshake, Mad Mink. It's great to see everybody else up in there. Thank you for hanging with us and dropping links and comments as we do the thing over here at State of the Nation. Now, uh, Steve, I got to point out, um, you know, today's sort of the day that only exists, uh, what, every two years, four years? I can't even remember. It's a leap year. We got uh, yeah. an extra day this month. And I'm glad we got an extra day because yesterday I forgot to shout this out. So I got an extra day in the month. I think it's still relevant. Um, on February 28th, 1993, at 4.20 a.m., the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms attempted to execute a search warrant relating to alleged sexual abuse charges and illegal weapons violations at the Branch Davidian compound just a few miles north of me here in Central Texas. Um, in the attempted uh, breach of the compound, four ATF agents were killed, 16 were wounded, and six Branch Davidians died in that initial raid, which took place on February the 28th. Um, 76 more died in the final assault on April 19th. And I just want to throw that out there, and we'll pick that part of the story up in April when we hit that part. But mark it in your mind now that the standoff began 31 years ago yesterday, and it lasted until April 19th, 1993. And if you're not familiar with the subject, um, please read up on it and don't just read the internet. Uh, see our last interview there with our friend Scott Shepard to understand why uh, you may not be able to actually get good information on this with a simple web search. So there's a lot of books and interviews you can read with people that were there, um, documentaries from uh, multiple sides of uh, multiple lenses, perspectives here. And um, I would also recommend that you get very familiar with the events at Sugar Pine Mine and what happened to Randy Weaver at Ruby Ridge Ruby because Ridge, it yeah. still applies. These things still apply today, don't they, Steve? Yeah, they do. And I, I remember that I remember the Branch Davidian assault like it was yesterday. Back in back in those halcyon days of the early nineties when Clinton was in there being a morally bankrupt uh scumbag. I was still very much on that plantation. The worm had not turned for me yet. So when I first saw that Branch Davidian thing, I'm like, well, it serves them right. And of course, I didn't, I was getting the news that I was being told. I have, I've become what we call an owl these days. I'm an older, wiser learner. And now that I study what happened at Ruby Ridge, what happened in Waco, it was also, it was just all so tyrannical and so over the top the way they went in there. I have no doubt that David Koresh was doing some pretty awful stuff in there, but to go in there with armored vehicles and just basically lay waste to the place uh, was just a little bit of overkill. And you'll recall, Hesher, back in those days, what were they doing on shows like Saturday Night Live? Janet Reno was uh, uh, was kind of characterized. She was, oh, it's yeah. so funny, ha, ha, ha. And, and nobody studied it. And all these years later, we look back at, uh, at, at Waco and Ruby Ridge and the Sugar Hill Mine, as you mentioned that as well. And it becomes abundantly clear, man, oh man, we, we've we really let go of our government. Our government's just kind of running 
wild with power. And that was kind of the uh, the beginning of it that I noticed. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, you know, it was very there there was a shutdown. You know, we didn't have an internet in 1993. I mean, we had the, right. you know early rumblings of an internet, but it wasn't a place people would go to get news. It wasn't a place where you could go and see you know, a video from someone stuck inside that place, you know, for days and days as they listen to the sounds of lambs being slaughtered and, and bunnies being thrown into grinders for 24 hours straight, you know, scaring the crap out of them. Uh, it's it's just shocking, you know, and there were multiple chances for uh, the, the feds contacted and, and interacted with uh, Koresh and, and multiple people in the compound for weeks ahead of time, multiple chances to... Uh, to go in there and give them a chance to turn themselves over without instigating violence. So, um, you know, and we've seen that, we still see that to this day. I mean, look at the SWAT operations on people like Roger Stone, uh, Donald Trump himself, you know, these agencies, yeah. they will come in and they will do these things at the behest of the government if people are looked at in the wrong way. And Steve, I, I, sorry, I'm steamrolling here, but I just watched this documentary the other night um, about the Raelians, which is basically a sex cult, basically a panspermia sex cult that originated in France in the 1970s. And they were definitely a pedophile cult. That's part of their, their whole genre. And it's like the Raelians moved from France to Israel to Quebec and here to the United States. And they've operated in all these places with their disgusting, uh, you know, sex pedo cult. I don't know what else to call it, an alien uh, pedo cult or something like that. It's basically a sex cult. And and they were invited to Congress. They invited this guy to, to, to testify in front of a judiciary committee about human cloning. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. The guy, a known pedophile, and, you know, he they don't get treated that way. Why? Because they're an alien sex cult instead of a cult that's uh, caching weapons and has more American and, and Judeo-Christian values, albeit they a little skewed, of course, but... I don't know. I'll, I'll drop it right there. Um, but we will revisit this, Steve, uh, come April 19th. What do you say? Yeah. Yeah. I, well, it's, it's important, you know, it's important that, as you said, back in 1993, we were all watching CNN and thinking, well, we're getting the fair and balanced view of what's happening here. And, uh, now, you know, of course, hindsight is always 2020, but now through the lens of history, we can look back at that and say, you know, we should have probably picked up on this uh, way back when. And that's what, by the way, that's why I said, you know, I was still very much firmly in the uh, in the Clinton camp back then. You know what turned the worm for me, Hesh? When I saw the way that the Democrats treated every woman that accused Clinton of either sexual assault or rape, in the case of Juanita Broderick, uh, and then I saw the way they trashed Linda Tripp. Right when I saw that, I'm like, well, wait a minute. These are the people that say they stand up for women, and yet they're trashing women. James Carville infamously said, "You can drive, you can drag a hundred dollar bill th through a trailer park, and you'll get all kinds of trash." He was talking about Paula Jones, who ended up getting eighty million dollars. And ever since then, I've, I've happily, uh, I, I, I wiped the dust off my feet as I left the Democrat Party, and I will never go back because it's only gotten worse. Yes, yes. Hey, do you enjoy listening to TNT? Do you think we're doing a good job? Please let us know. We would love that. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, X, Gab, Gitter, any of the outlets we're on. We're on all of them. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here at Today's News Talk, TNT. Delivering the facts. Source I can trust. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. TNT.
Okay, well, we are going to be joined by one of our friends and colleagues here, of, co of course, the, the com uh, commentary writer and host of the Bold and Blunt podcast for the Washington Times, Cheryl Chumley, rejoining us here at State of the Nation. Cheryl, it's great to see you today. It's great to be with you guys. I wish I could just sit back and listen to you talk more. That was fascinating what you were just saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is interesting, right? And it does sort of wrap into where we're at today, you know? I mean, it's uh I mean, you, it fits right into your book too, The Socialist Plan to Take Away Your Freedom, Lockdown, you know? Lockdown is sort of another thing, very similar except that was uh committed in a a much uh more muted violence sort of way on everybody. Yeah, it all it all kind of leads back to, you know, bigger government, right? Biggest government just seizing on our individual liberties, on our God-given individual liberties and rights and trying to take them over. And so if you look at the battles that go on in America and around the world from that vein, you can see how they all kind of focus on that one main theme. Yeah, yeah. Well, I got to well, say, Sharon. Go, go ahead, go ahead. Ash, go ahead. <laughs> well, we're we're interested. You know, the the reason we wanted to bring you on um, is because we wanted to talk about what we're seeing right now when it comes to the primaries and the polls and everything. It looks like Biden's up against um, not even people at this point. But there's like <laughs> categories like uncommitted or not sure yet or any other <laughs> any other candidate. I mean, have you ever seen anything like this before, or is this sort of a novel thing in power politics? Yeah, I, I haven't seen anything like this before. And it really it is a little humorous, right? When you when you see that Joe Biden can't even win from his own base and they're so disappointed with him, his own party, that 13 percent, right, of uncommitteds come out to vote. And so in, in a way, though, that is bad news for Israel. And I wrote about this in The Washington Times, because what you're seeing, a large portion of these uncommitteds are the ones who have been pushing Joe Biden to get even tougher and harder on Israel and Benjamin Netanyahu calling for a ceasefire uh, because they don't think that the Jewish state has a right to defend itself. And so my my concern going forward is that this movement, this uncommitted movement could expand into other states and in primaries. And Joe Biden, the more he loses his base to the uncommitted vote, the more he might turn his ire against Israel and pressure the Jewish nation even more to stop uh, fighting its righteous fight against Hamas terrorists. Yeah. And you know, Cheryl, the thing is the uncommitted are in our, we're in Michigan and we saw that 13% God, in the early part of the night, it was upwards of 20%. People were really freaking out by the time <laughs> it shook out. It was about 13%, which is still a staggering number. I suspect most of those folks will come back home again when November rolls around or they just won't show up. They'll be, they'll, they'll vote with their, with their butts on the couch as opposed to going to the, to the polls. But it's not just these, these, uh, Arab Americans or, or or Muslim Americans uh, that that he's hemorrhaging here. He is infuriating his uh, his Hispanic base. He is infuriating uh, the black uh, base. Uh, that all of these what they thought were monolithic blocks are starting to be chipped away at because of his policies. I mean, it's 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 almost staggering. He's trying to please too many people, and in doing that, he's pissing everybody off. 
And don't forget the youth, the youth voting bloc that came out in, in uh, I guess, a, a good average of the numbers that voted for him in 2020 were about 60 percent. And in one poll back in December showed that same 18 through 29 year old voting bloc uh, instead of 60 percent for Biden, we're only at 43 percent. So the Democrat Party in general is desperate to recapture these voting blocks that they really haven't had to pay much attention to through the years because they were the sort of auto automatic knee-jerk Democrat voters. And I don't think that these uncommitted or these dissatisfied with uh, Joe Biden voters are going to suddenly up and vote for Trump, but they may stay home, right? If they don't feel that they can vote for a candidate they, that they support, they stay home. And that gives Trump an even bigger lead, which is where we really have to start worrying about the mail-in balloting, right? Because going forward, uh, a lot of states have opened the doors for more and more mail-in balloting and Republicans really haven't kept up with that. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of calls for people to get on that, you know, if, hey, if, if it's available early, you need to jump on it. You know, I'm seeing a lot of that, especially as we approach March 5th, a lot of primaries taking place. Um, so I, I guess that is one of the things it's like, that's part of our, that's another sort of novel thing, right, is for um, conservatives to have to consider that because conservatives are more traditionally likely to go and do it in person They you know, they for some reason, I don't know, maybe it's just that uh, traditional mindset. Um, you know, for them, it's like, I go to my local precinct, I do the deed, I'm done. I don't, you know, I'm not uh, deployed in the military or in a foreign country. So why would I bother to to do that? But um, is it's my understanding that that we're saying people should do that now, because then you can track your vote a little bit better. You won't be subjected to that, all the weird last minute shenanigans that we keep seeing like a pipe broke or whatever. Is that, is that really sort of the push there? I think it is the push. And I got to say, I personally hate that. I favor election day where you go in. And if you don't make it on election day, then too bad, unless you're a veteran, right? Unless you're, uh, you know, deployed overseas, unless you have some medical issue, unless there is a very good reason why you can't show up on the polls on voting day, because this voting day stretched into voting week, stretched into voting month, and then uh, being decided in the courts after, that's a dangerous trend that just leads us more and more down a nation of uh, election uh, you know, shenanigans where we turn into a banana republic. And we've seen that the last couple elections. And the way out of it is to go back to paper ballots that are counted by hand and have election day. But I don't know, maybe we've gone too far and it's time for Republicans to get in the fight. That's where the argument lies. That's where the dispute is. And it's going to be very sad if we give up, though, that ghost of election day. I agree with you. I, and I, yeah. I think that is absolutely imperative because I don't give a damn what they say, uh, Cheryl. Democrats are trying to find a way uh, to rig the system, whether it's whether it's uh, uh, mail-in ballots, whether it's a three-week window where you can cast your vote, early voting, whatever it is. And you know this because every time somebody says, well, we should have IDs to vote, they shoot that down as if it's unfair. So anything that might guard the vote is automatically rejected outright by Democrats. Uh, and, and I'm with you. I don't like the push. Well, maybe we need to start fighting like them. No, maybe we just need to change the rules back. I mean, hell, Florida is one of the most po populous states in the nation, and they get all their votes counted the day of the election, and they give the results the same day. 
I'll give credit where credit is due. DeSantis has done that. Uh, Scott did it before him. And they've really got the election ever since the hanging Chad days. Florida's really turned it around and gotten their act together. And, of course, no blue state is going to follow their lead. I mean, you know. Yeah, I I think the fight needs to stay in the arena of principle, because look what happens when Democrats are allowed to move the battleground, right? Go back in time to Obamacare, where before Obamacare, it was about uh, a dispute over the right to health care. Was it a human right versus a taxpayer right? And Republicans made a long time stance against health care being a taxpayer uh, right. And then they sort of ceded that ground to uh, to debate with Democrats about how many uh, people needed to sign up for federal health care in order to make it worthwhile financially. And suddenly we seeded the idea that health care was an individual responsibility. So when we allow Democrats to make uh, the narrative, to lay the battleground and force us to play on their ground, we lose every time. And we shouldn't do that with election day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I feel the same way. It's like, okay, I keep hearing this. We need to use the same tactics the Democrats are using. But this very topic is one of those ones where I'm like, I don't like that. I don't like this tactic. I feel like the tactic is wrong. And like you said, you said it brilliantly. They're laying the battleground. So it's like they lay the battleground. What are conservatives doing? Oh, oh, okay, okay, guys, I guess we got to do the mail-in ballot thing now because that seemed to work great for them in the past. It's like, no, the battleground has been laid at this point. So it's already, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not an expert on this, but that's why I wanted to ask you about it. Um, We got to let you go in a moment here. Any quick thoughts about Mitch McConnell's announcement before we go? Well, I think it's time for him to go. I think, uh, you know, he ticked off a lot of conservatives years ago when he talked about crushing the Tea Party and so forth. He did a good thing with uh, the Supreme Court and uh, with uh, uh, keeping off uh, Merrick Garland and so forth. But aside from that, he's been a long term politician and we need some fresh faces who are more pro Trump. There you go. All right. Yeah, let's get America first. Once again, Mitch McConnell's uh, definitely time to bow out here. And uh, it's gonna be interesting to see how the rest of his term goes up until uh, the time comes in November, January, whenever he steps out of there. All right, Cheryl Chumley can be found at CK Chumley on x.com, formerly Twitter, and at the Bold and Blunt Cot podcast, and of course, at the Washington Times. Cheryl, thanks for joining us per usual here at State of the Nation. We'll look forward to your next appearance. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Oh, yes. Have a good one. All right. This is today's news talk. TNT. TNT's Timothy Shea. We need a calling in our public sphere. And I'm not calling for, you know, assassinations. I'm not calling for. No, no. What I'm saying is these people need to be exorcised from the public square. We need to stop giving them platforms. We need to stop amplifying their voices. I'm not saying censor them. I'm saying we need to stop listening to them. We need to stop voting for them. Clara McCaskill, newspapers need to stop fact-checking Joe Biden until they fact-check Donald Trump every day on the front page. Earth to Claire, where have you been in the last eight years? The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk TNT. 
TNT is an independent global news talk station that does what others only say they do. TNT is a live radio and TV broadcaster that simply tells the truth 24 hours a day, seven days a week. No one in the world does what we do. Crisscrossing the globe, providing credible news and opinion all day and all night. In two and a half years, TNT has become a credible and exciting platform with brilliant hosts and staff. It's a critical time, and we must continue to call out the misinformation and propaganda from mainstream media and their powerful sponsors. We're now appealing to our many friends and supporters around the world to go to TNTradio.live and make a small donation to TNT while we seek the right investors to continue our important mission. If you're talking about it, we're talking about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, so our friends in Australia, our friends at TNT, our colleagues, maybe you watching right now, we saw how you were treated in Australia. It was not good here in the U.S., but it looked a lot worse in Australia. Frankly, it was difficult to watch. Um, but we got a little bit of uh, good news here, I believe. A judge has ruled that mandating COVID-19 shots for some Queensland frontline workers was unlawful based on human rights grounds. So dozens of Queensland uh, Queenland Police Service, the QPS, and Queenland Ambulance Service, QAS staff, challenged their workplace mandates in the Supreme Court in 2022 after they refused to comply with the directives. Well, just this week, just, Justice Glenn Martin found the directives breached uh, Section 58 of the Human Rights Act, which states that all public service employees must give proper consideration to human rights before making a decision and that they must act and make decisions that are compatible with human rights. Joining us now for an update on this developing better late than never story is RTNT colleague Charles Kovis. Charles, welcome to State of the Nation. It's great to have you. Thanks for joining us. So is this yet another brick in the wall of the Covidian cult narrative just falling apart in Queensland and maybe for that matter around the world? Yes, it is. And unequivocally, it is. So that what what's what happens is most of us don't know what's happening in the in the fight back. I'll give you one piece of data useful for the U.S. There was over twenty thousand cases going through the court systems in the fifty states of U.S. and federally. <clears throat> so that's over twenty thousand. There are hundreds of cases going on in Australia. This case. The first hearing, it was launched in September 2021. It had a series of hearings. So we're now two and a half years. So early 2022, we've had over two years that this has been making its way through the courts. And then unthinking people say nothing much is happening. No, there's bucket loads happening. And this decision by the judge is a very well-considered, well-reasoned, and very, very strongly argued by the Queensland government against what the frontline workers, the police, the ambulance, the fire, the firemen were claiming of their many grounds, but the one that was held to be valid was your human rights were breached. And this, uh, the articulation of these principles is so important because every lawyer that reads these 115 pages gets new insights into, ah, there's an angle I didn't think of. And the law, the words in the statutes, so in Australia and America, we have a similar system based on the English law. And you think back to 1215, the first Magna Carta that talked about these 
inalienable rights that we have. And this human rights legislation is related to those inalienable rights, which come back to natural law. And the all of the monarchs of the English system have pledged to preserve those God-given rights. Now, you go back to Section 58 of this human rights law, a state law, it's couched in certain terms, and the judge says you have those rights and they're taken away. So then the lawyers with the 115 pages, they go, ah, I never thought of this principle that applies to my particular client, Brian McLean, who got sacked by his local church or who got sacked by Virgin Airlines because I'm also involved in cases against Virgin Airlines for sacking staff. And Qantas has sacked staff for not being for not being jabbed. So the, it is absolutely of enormous value, even though the Queensland government has said it's going to appeal. Good luck with that, number one, because you can't appeal on fact, you can only appeal on matters of law. Number two, the arguments that they put in their appeal will also give new angles to all the lawyers. And as they say in the classics, give lawyers an opportunity to fight a fight. They will because they earn money from it. And there's another classic principle, Steve and Brian, that says if there's one lawyer in town, he starves. If there's two lawyers in a town, they both do well. <laughs> well, I get it. I, I, I've, I've often cited on this program that one of my favorite lawyer jokes was from is from the great comedian Stephen Wright, who said 99% of all lawyers give the give the rest of them a bad name. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big I'm a big fan of Stephen Wright. He also said, "Why do people use shampoo? What's wrong with real poo?" <laughs> so, uh. so, so the other thing I want everyone to really grasp the complexity of what we're dealing with. Stop looking for simple solutions because, in the context of these mandates, in the context of health. I have been involved in health since 1965 when I went to my first naturopath at the age of 13. Okay, I'm 71. I don't go to doctors. I don't have a doctor. I've never been to a hospital for an illness in my life. Wow. Now, I have a deep understanding of health. Doctors are trained in the medical system in Australia and the US to follow the system. And pharmaceutical big pharma has bought the system. So doctors are excellent, excellent at simply finding a problem, prescribing a drug. Now, I do say, and, you know, there's Angels and Demons, that wonderful book, what was that book called, Angels and Demons, that author who also wrote about um, having a mental blank. But anyway, doctors are angels and demons. They are angels if you have a traumatic accident, car accident, fire, break your arm. They are angels. They save our lives. On the other hand, don't go to a doctor and ask him to keep you healthy. That's not what he's trained to do. He is trained by Big Pharma to keep you on drugs. Now, the complexity of the human body is a beautiful metaphor for the complexity of the law. And so I've spoken to experienced medical professors, doctors of all types, the intelligent ones, and I say, to what extent does medical science understand the functioning of the cells in our body? And all of the wise ones say we understand 1%, 1%. So this idea that they flounce around saying we know what you need, that is total BS. And similarly with the law, no one knows all the law. 
and this unfolding complexity. And I like what you put at the start, that this is a another brick in the wall defending against what government wants to do and government is doing it. These, see, government is not some... Government is politicians, bureaucrats and technocrats. They want to control us. And you guys and I, we're, you are in the land of the free and the brave. Well, hang on. That's what TNT Radio is about, fighting for freedom. And if we don't fight for that freedom, these technocrats, they'll take over our lives. We know what's good for you. Well, not only is your body complicated, but guess what? The three of us have different bodies. What's good for my body is not necessarily good for yours. And so in the legal system, this 115-page judgment is going to give so much, so much wonderful ingredients for the next fight. And it will make other jurisdictions, and we've got the same system in Australia, we've got states and federal. So there's state legislation, there's federal legislation. And then the interplay of all of that, I'm, I'm so excited by this decision. It was funded by Clive Palmer, a, a billionaire who took on the fight, who's always been a warrior for freedom, who wants to be free, and I urge all of us to, to fight for those rights to be free. Yeah. Charles, listen, we have to take a real quick headline break, but when we come back, I want to talk about how this ruling in Queensland, Australia, and you kind of touched on this, is going to better inform lawyers in all countries. So it, while it, there's no jurisdiction uh, in New York City for what a justice in Queensland says, but by God, that 115 pages could certainly be used to bring case uh, in New York or in Montana or wherever, or in London for that matter. Charles Kovis is our guest. You're watching State of the Nation. We take a quick headline break and we'll be right back on today's News Talk TNT. I have some good news. Uh, uh. TNT Radio News. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. An Illinois judge ruled former President Donald Trump ineligible for the ballot under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment regarding participation in insurrection, with the decision currently on hold pending appeal. Former President Donald Trump plans to visit Eagle Pass, a Texas border town significantly affected by illegal immigration. Opposition leader Peter Dutton has urged the Australian government to publicly identify the ex-politician accused of espionage for a foreign country. On air and on the app. I listen on the app. Stay up to date around the clock. I listen, therefore I know. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, we are back uh, on State of the Nation. Charles Kovas, our TNT colleague and just a, a, a well-spoken man on this subject, Charles. So we're so happy that you're with us. Now, I want to talk about uh, the effect of this this justice uh, in in Queensland uh, uh, handing down this wonderful decision. It really is a it it is a fight for liberty, a fight for personal freedom. And I'm so happy that the police officers and the firefighters and the ambulance worker workers there uh, are going to be able to use this going forward and to stop this. Now in the United States, it was a little different. The federal government wanted to mandate this. God knows Biden wanted every single person to have the shot. But he knew that he was going to run into constitutional issue with that. So he he just mandated that the military had to get it. And of course, much like what happened in Australia, some some in the military, uh, some in the military said, I don't want to take this shot. And then he pushed that any company that's over 50 employees strong should mandate or should mandate it. He didn't say you have to mandate it, but he just kind of laid that out there. And guess what, Charles? 
All these companies mandated it that you had, if you want to stay employed here, you got to get this jab. My question is, will there be justice for people that suffered vaccine injury down the road because they were very, very careful about protecting big pharma uh, and and saying, well, you're going to be no liabilities against you. But now all of a sudden we're getting data that looks like they may have been BSing about all of this. They may have known this was dangerous long before the first jab was administered. Uh, Is there going to be justice down the road, you think? Yes, there will be. And I bring to people's attention the Pacific Justice Institute, PJI, founded by Brad Dacus, a very competent U.S. lawyer, that's D-A-C-U-S, Pacific Justice Institute, get this, guys, it has 29 legal officers in 22 states in the U.S., and all of their services are provided to clients for free. Now, now that that these 29 officers are funded by donations. The reason why the government gets away with a lot of what it does, there will be justice. There is justice available, Pacific Justice Institute, pji.org, everybody, if you want to look it up, if your case fits into that, there will be justice because more and more people are realising that the resources of government the taxpayer are used to enslave the taxpayer. So more and more people with money are supporting the cases of people who have been injured. Now, the next step is that the question of causation. I got involved in this whole issue 13 years ago when I'd retired as a lawyer. I practiced law for 20 years and then I became a motivational speaker. I'm an expert on passion, which is all to do with freedom, the freedom to pursue your passion. That's the crucial element to a successful and enjoyable life, regardless of the challenges. And so, and so I was losing my so as as a as a lawyer, gosh, where was I where was I going with this? Um, well, we're, we were going to talk about how this applies to cases that might be happening here in the United States and how that ruling kind of that's right. that's correct. So the words, the U.S. human rights structure and injury and tort law, T-O-R-T, wrongs. If you do something wrong, if you injure somebody, the injured person is entitled to compensation. Now, through machinations of the protection of big pharma, so over the last 13 years, I was brought, it was brought to my attention how protected big pharma is. And so in 1986, Ronald Reagan signed the Vaccine Injury Compensation Code that gave immunity to Big Pharma. Now, guess what can happen? The law can change. This is not in your constitution that Big Pharma is protected. This is a piece of legislation. And let me say this, and I put Big Pharma on notice. They knew these jabs were dangerous and deadly. The executives in them knew they will be held to account, mark my words, because the immunity given to Big Pharma does not apply if they've committed a crime. You see, if you could get away with committing a crime, every politician would give themselves indemnity, would give themselves immunity, so I can do whatever I like, I'm a politician. No, you can't. And so as the wheel turns, when when 
more and more people awaken, and trust me, they are. In, in America, I think the booster rate, in Australia, the, the uptake of booster rates of these jabs is less than 2%. In America, it's tiny. People are awake. And then when they see that the courts are protecting big pharma and letting injured people suffer, there will be ever-increasing awareness and judges will be scared to not give justice to people whose lives have been destroyed by these, and they are bioweapons. By any definition in the US system and in the Australian system, these are not vaccines, these are not medications, they are bioweapons. So it gives great hope. And again, because it's the same foundational legal structure in America as Australia, the human rights, the consent provisions, the application of the Nuremberg Code provisions that says you can't force me to take a medication. That's why Biden didn't do it. That's why the Australian Prime Minister didn't do it. But guess what? They gave incentives to big companies if you impose the mandate, we will give you additional government support. And if you don't impose it, then we're not going to give you any business, which, by the way, is where the big four accounting practices get why they comply with government dictates on wokeness and political correctness and cancel culture, because the bulk of their income comes from government, comes from taxpayers. That's why they do what they do. Same with the big law firms, but Pacific Justice Institute is a wonderful practice set up on Christian principles to help people who need help. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for shouting that one out. And also, uh, we enjoyed watching you on the Chris Smith show here at today's news talk. So I would recommend that you check that out. If you've uh, missed that, you can find that in the episodes archive right here at today's news talk. And uh, on that episode, I noticed you also pointed out one that um, I wanted to make sure that you know about Jab Injuries Australia, which would be au.jabinjuriesglobal.com. But if you just search Jab Injuries Australia, you might be amazed at some of the stories you see there. And again, pacificjustice.org, Pacific Justice Institute. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned the Nuremberg Code, and I'm glad Justice Glenn Martin referenced it also in his report. That's something many of us have been saying for a long time now. It's good to see that yeah. go into the legal system here. Charles Kovas, thank you so much for joining us here. We really appreciate it. Had a, a great time with a, a scary topic, but good news overall. Thanks for helping us break this down. And you can watch Charles and listen to Charles oh, well, can right I do here. one other thing? One other sure, thing. Sure, yeah, go ahead. Embrace the complexity. Stop looking for a simple black and white answer. You know, live, live life. You know, stop coming to this space. I need black and white answers. It's like saying I need a black and white answer on on Gaza and Israel. I need a black and white answer on climate. No, you don't. Live with the uncertainty and the complexity of this beautiful body that we've given and this complex world that we're in. That's how it was made. So don't be scared of complexity. Very well said. Thank oh, you. Sorry, Thank yeah. you so much. Charles Kovas, Mind Medicine on today's News Talk, Sundays, 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Brisbane time, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. London time. And uh, wow, very late at night for us here in the United States, 3 a.m. to 4 a.m. New York time. We'll be listening. Thank you so much, Charles, for joining us here at State of the Nation on today's Thanks. News Talk TNT. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. These people are evil. First they lie, like, no, no, the jab is safe and effective. You have to take it because it's safe and effective. It's for the greater good. 
And then they'll deny that people that were injured were injured by the jab, which was so safe and effective. And now when they're finally forced to admit, yeah, your paralysis, it's from the mod RNA gene therapy injection. But we're gonna make it up to you, the doctors in Canada say to the paralyzed woman. We're going to allow you to opt for euthanasia. I'm not making that up. Go check out the story. With these people, all roads lead to death. They are a death cult on a mission of spreading death far and wide. They wanna kill people. They wanna kill as many people as possible. They're on record as saying they want no more than 500 million people on Earth. The only problem, we have 7.5 billion people on Earth. They wanna get rid of 7 billion people and they're doing it slowly but surely. They need to be stopped and they need to be stopped now. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for today's News Talk TNT. see it coming. It's pre-diabetes, and it captures one in three adults. You may not even know you have it, but you can escape. Take the one-minute pre-diabetes risk test to know where you stand. With early diagnosis, you can change the outcome and prevent or delay type 2 diabetes. Be your own hero on smartphones everywhere at doihaveprediabetes.org. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Okay, welcome back to State of the Nation, and we're very happy to welcome our next guest. It's been a while since we've had Senator Brian Dolly on the program, but he joins us now. He represents California's 1st Senate District. Uh, and, Senator, it is wonderful to see you, and I want to talk with you about Senate Bill 1423, which you introduced uh, because this is a pretty important topic. This is all about rural hospitals, and I'm just going to kind of spitball it here, but your 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 state is losing hospitals, uh, and, and more often than not, a lot of them are rural hospitals, and it's leaving hundreds, if not thousands, of Californians with no place to turn. Um, I imagine that maybe illegal immigration has a lot to do with this because <laughs> this is Medi-Cal, after all, and Medi-Cal is now, according to Gavin Newsom, uh, it's a panacea for all of your new residents that hail from Ecuador, El Salvador, Venezuela, China, Zimbabwe, wherever the hell. They get free medic uh, medical coverage in California now, and I guess a lot of these rural hospitals are going under. Is that, is that what's going on? Why don't you tell us about 1423? Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, 1423 is about, there's 6 million Californians that are served by what we call critical access hospitals. So, uh, and 37 of those, uh, there are 37 critical access hospitals. That means that there is not a hospital within uh, you know, 30 to 50 miles from that hospital. And it also has acute uh, beds there uh, and emergency rooms as well. So uh, my district is the largest district in California. I represent 15 counties. Uh, geographically, I represent um, a big part of the state. 
So I have a lot of these critical access hospitals in my district. But California has been faced with uh, hospital closures in Madera, uh, which is not, uh, it's rural. We call it rural in California because we have, you know, huge cities, but it's not rural to the rest of America. Uh, we lost a hospital last year. People are having to go 50 miles uh, to get their primary care. Uh, but in my district, we've had that uh, scenario for a long time. You have to go about 110 miles in some cases to have a baby in my district uh, because hospitals can't, uh, they're not getting the reimbursement rate uh, from the federal government or from the uh, state government as well. Yeah, you know, and <clears throat> I'm, uh, as you know, I think I've told you before, but um, I have a lot of experience, life experience in Nevada County, Placer County, Sacramento, uh, Shasta. I, I know your whole your whole district. I mean, um, you know that that is so, some big counties, very big counties with some very rural areas in it. You know, um, I spent a lot of time in Placer in Nevada County, and uh, you know I've seen um, their hospital system be under a lot of strain, you know, even from afar. Now that I live in Texas, I still hear about that and see that. I mean, um, how does this affect places like that? There are some places in these counties in your entire district that are like very rural, very rural. Yeah, basically this bill, we modeled this bill after a bill in, in Nevada, the state of Nevada. And um, because they have the same issue, this is not uh, generic to uh, California. It's a rural problem throughout the United States, quite frankly. But our problem here in California, is, as stated in the opening, is we have a lot of people who are coming into California uh, that are taking from the system. And we have a lot of the Medi-Cal reimbursement rate is so low. So doctors don't want to see those patients and we don't have enough doctors to cover those patients. So this bill will simply allow that Medi-Cal reimbursement rate to go up so we can actually keep those hospitals open. Uh, and it's only... Uh, targeted at those critical access hospitals and where there isn't another hospital close by uh, and there is no other option. Yeah. Well, more options is always good. I mean, you know, it's one thing to, it's one thing to see all these hospitals shut down. Uh, that's sad news. A lot of people are fleeing the state of California. Uh, and I live in Jersey, so I can say that because a lot of people are fleeing this state as well, but people are leaving because of these policies. Uh, Senator, I mean, and you know that people are leaving because in New Jersey, it's mostly taxes, California, no doubt it's taxes as well, but it's also these policies that seem to favor illegal immigrants over born Californians. And, and I would, I would be livid if I lived out in a community that saw the only hospital within a hundred miles shut down because they physically or financially could no longer afford to keep the doors open. One thing to say, oh, you're covered by uh, Medi-Cal. And another thing to have a doctor say, well, guess what? You're not covered by me because we're not going to take you. And that's what these hospitals are facing, right? They're facing just, uh, it's it's uh, financially undoable for a lot of these hospitals, correct? Well, the, the, yeah, the strain on California is, uh, I think, even more because we have invited people that, um, as my, I'm a, my, my family's farmers, and as my grandpa used to say, when there's more people unloading the wagon than loading the wagon, you're going to have an empty wagon real quick. Well, that's what's happening. We have uh, too many people that aren't, aren't participating and paying in, and we have people that are taking out. And that's the problem we have here in California. And, uh, and quite frankly, the governor and the Democrat-controlled uh, legislature is inviting people. We're, we're flying women from other states to have abortions here, and that's a strain on our health care system that is limited. At the same time, we have uh, 
uh, general fund uh, deficit of $75 billion. You know, two years ago, we had a hundred billion surplus and this year we have a $75 billion deficit. So uh, there's a lot of structural problems in California. As you stated earlier, the people that pay the bills are leaving. The, the tax, the businesses and the, those wealthy folks that the, the Democrats don't like in our state, they always talk about the 1%. Well, 1% of Californians pay 40% of our uh, taxes. And quite frankly, when you run those people out, you have a problem and it's not going to get better any sooner uh, until we uh, are a more, uh, less regulatory, better business friendly state. Uh, and once you lose, lose those people, it's hard to get them back. And so I think California is headed into a, a death spiral uh, that's going to take some true leadership to say no to the power brokers in Sacramento and actually get some things done. I'm just trying to keep my hospitals open in my district at this point. Uh, because we, if we don't reimburse them, they're going to go out of business. Yeah, you know, we we spoke with um, Senator Jones yesterday, and I mean, while we were on the the discussion with him, it came to my knowledge that the deficit had gone up from sixty eight billion to seventy five billion, and he made the uh, somewhat scary comment that we won't be surprised if we see a hundred billion. Uh, by the end of the year. So that deficit is huge. And the other thing that we spoke with him about plays into this as well. Um, Governor Newsom has expanded the coverage, the so-called medical coverage or or insurance coverage um, in Medi-Cal to include people up to 49 years old for illegal immigrants up to the age of 49. Nine. I remember when I went off to college, my parents were like, all right, you're on my insurance until you're 26. Then you're on your own, kid. Um, now it's like, what is what happened in this state? Now you can uh, just, what, ditch my passport, come across illegally, and I'm good with insurance. But the, the scary thing is that Senator Jones pointed out that the hospitals aren't even like people are being incentivized to come there for medical reasons. And then, like you just said, Medi-Cal won't even reimburse it. So the doctors won't take it. I mean, this is just exacerbating the problem extremely, I would imagine. Yes, we have a $75 billion deficit and we have $5 billion that we're allocating to undocumented for healthcare. That's a fact. Wow. So when you, you, you want to know what you want to know why I run bills like this, because I'd love to have that $5 billion to keep our hospitals open. Uh, for the people who are here paying the bill. Oh, that's wow. a big ask. I mean, I mean, I mean you get I'm called sure. a racist for having a, a political idea like that these days, but I don't understand that. You know, it's like, this is not about race. This is, and of course, California has always been very welcoming and open. You know, um, I've, I, I just can't imagine people being called racist for wanting to keep the state in a state where they can bring people in to, to, you know, to do whatever work needs to be done. I mean, we had somewhat of a balance there before, but this has completely upset the balance. I would, I would say, I don't, I, mean, I don't mind. I don't mind people coming and working and paying in, but it's the ones that come and don't work and they're on the system uh, that aren't paying in. That's the problem we have. We have a lot of those people because we're welcoming, we're a sanctuary state where you don't have to have any, uh, you don't have to have a job. You don't have to have anything. You can just come and collect. And quite frankly, our budgets re- reflect that. When you say, hey, there's a lot more free stuff here, uh, our homeless population continues to grow. We were, they spent $20 billion on homelessness and we had 160,000 homeless and we increased it by 30,000 by spending $20 billion. And we didn't put anybody, get anybody off the street. That's the kind of policies that California, and Governor Newsom wants to be president of the United States. Well, pay attention close because it's not going to work for you. He ruined San Francisco and he's ruining California as well. And he wants to ruin the nation, I guess. 
Yeah, you know, it's funny you would mention uh, good old Gruesome Newsome because when we were talking to uh, uh, Senator uh, Senator yesterday, we were we he I mentioned that to him. I said I said, look, it looks like they want to parachute this guy in because Biden is. I heard a guy on New York talk refer to Biden walking on the stage. He said it's like watching a Roomba because <laughs> he just got the way he just, so so the word you know so so the fear of the, of the DNC is that he's not going to be able to make it, and their go to uh, Senator Dolly, their go to replacement seems to be Gavin Newsom. Uh, what would you say to the average voter in oh I don't know Poughkeepsie? that might consider pulling the lever for a Gavin Newsom? Well, all I have to say is just take a great look at the great state of California. This is a wonderful state. We have everything you can imagine. We have the gig economy. We have the agriculture. We have technology. We have the infrastructure. And literally in the last 10 years, um, they've destroyed our state because of high taxes and high regulation. And, and you know, you can't drive this kind of car. You can't use this kind of weed eater or lawnmower. I mean, it just never ends here. And every day, our electricity rates went up uh, 25% just this last year. My phone in my office is flying off the hook of people on fixed incomes who are just, you know, they can't make it here. At the same time, you can't even get insurance because, you know, uh, utilities have burned down our state. So if you want the rest of America to look like California, once a flourishing, you know, we're the fourth largest economy or fifth largest economy in the world, but we're not going to be that way for long. Uh, We're we're broke right now. We're $75 billion short. Yeah, and you're supporting 700,000 people that weren't there just a few short years ago into a much higher age bracket. And on top of that, that's not a static number. That's not a static number. Yes. Uh, Senator Senator yesterday told us that uh, 800 to 900 people per day are breaching the southern border uh, in, the, in and around San Diego. So... Uh, that is a number that is going to go up and up and up if this doesn't change. I mean, and and the five billion dollars going to support people like this—it's like as hospital. We're we're going to allow hospitals to be shut down. I mean, this, do you think? Are you concerned that that these sort of policies are going to destroy rural California? Because once the hospital's not there, your your senior citizens are all going to leave. You know, this is marginalizing potentially a lot of people. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's been happening, quite frankly. But yeah, if you don't have health care in your community, you don't have a community. Uh, and it's, you, it's just tough. The same thing with education. You got to have education. You got to have all those things. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, we need to, you know, one size doesn't fit all. I mean, California's a big state. What works in San Francisco doesn't work in Nevada County. And so we need to have some uh, a tiered approach. And that's quite frankly what I'm trying to do. Well, we wish you yeah. the best of luck with it. I, my, my, uh, what I, what I'm wondering about is just exactly how long California is going to be able to hang on and continue to vote blue. Is there any chance of Californians waking up one day and saying, "Holy cow, we've really screwed up the last forty years"? Once upon a time, Ronald Reagan was our governor. Now we've got Gavin Newsom, Jerry Brown. Before that, I mean, it's just it. it I, and again, I can say this because I'm in New Jersey. It, it's come across as a punchline now, California, for ineffective governance. Oh well, I, I believe we'll have a you know Republican uh, governor at some point because the people are getting tired of it. I mean, it doesn't matter what party you're from; you can't absorb these high energy rates and the regulations and 
and then no service at the same time. I mean, our insurance rates in California are skyrocketing. Can't yeah. you, if you can even get home insurance. So we have a lot of issues, but uh, don't let Gavin president. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Senator Brian Dolly, thank you so much for joining us and continuing to keep us updated on what's going on there and for fighting that good fight for freedom and for California. We appreciate you very much. We'll look forward to your next appearance here at State of the Nation on today's News Talk. Stay tuned for the Misty Winston Show coming up next right here on TNT.